0: I talked with a DAO contributor and asked her if she'd ever sold any of the tokens that she earned from the DAO that she was contributing to. She looked at me sheepishly and she said, yes. I asked her why. She said, you know, when I earned them, I didn't realize I had to pay taxes on them. I didn't even think about them as any kind of currency. I just thought I wanted to contribute to a DAO that I cared about and earning tokens meant there'd be some future upside in all this. And then I had to pay taxes. And by the way, by the time she had to pay taxes, the value of the token that she earned had absolutely plummeted, and so she had to basically sell all of her tokens in order to cover the taxes on the tokens she earned. The person you're about to meet, Michael Carter, has come up with a solution to this problem. He is the creator of WorkDAO, and they've got an innovative solution to this that allows DAO creators to feel comfortable contributing because... Well, because WorkDAO helps take care of their taxes, and they do that by creating organizations all over the world. It's kind of an intricate process. And I think the story is interesting, and this is a useful tool for us to talk about. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm here from Origami. We help the world's most ambitious communities launch and grow their DAOs. Here's the interview. Michael, do you have an example of someone who was or could have been helped by WorkDAO?
1: Every DAO that has contributors and we've encountered a bunch of them, you know, they start off with this notion that a DAO is sort of, uh, you know, global jurisdictionless, you know, things like that. But, you know, whatever the case is, um, the individuals who tend to be working at the DAO, just like normal people, you know, they live somewhere, they have a jurisdiction, you know, they have like a visa or citizenship or something like that. And they want to do like really normal things. Like they want to rent an apartment, um, or have health insurance, um, or have you know benefits for like paternity or maternity leaves um and you know the issue is that like these folks who want to go and just integrate with the normal real world um are at a huge dis- disadvantage because actually when they go to do those things you can't just sort of take your like wallet and say uh like look at these tokens that i have uh, you know rent me an apartment i mean you might be able to for certain landlords but like that's like the point zero 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 one percent um i don't know I, I might rent someone a room if they show me their wallet but By and large, um, what you need is sort of income verification. You know, they need to be able to sort of using real world systems, go and do some kind of credit check or like income verification check. Um, And that's really, really hard to do then if you haven't sort of been, you know, officially sort of employed or compensated. And it's not enough just to sort of go out and say, oh, hey, like, you know, I'll go and try to make this official as an individual. Um, It's actually a pretty deep set of partnerships and overlaps between the organization like the DAO. And the contributor. And so we've stepped in for many contributors and we've been that middle layer where a DAO is really, you know, oftentimes not set up to do all of those real world things and, you know, a specific country, much less a hundred countries, except that's where the contributors are. So we step in and we say, okay, look, we're gonna actually make sure that people are officially compensated. Um, They can go ahead and get their income verification for anything like renting an apartment or getting a house all of sort of the insurances, like, you know, pay their taxes, all just like the normal real-world things that shouldn't really be like a sacrifice because you work for a DAO, you suddenly can't, you know, interoperate with society. You know, it it should be a pleasure to work for a DAO, but then also you should be able to be a, kind of a normal person too. An individual gets paid
0: through work DAO, but an individual can't sign up by themselves.
1: DAOs need to sign up, right? We actually can help some individuals. You know, there's certain situations where We could just work directly with a contributor and help them, you know, sort of get employed and get access to benefits. And it's, it's sort of a model where they're basically a contractor, but they still want to be able to like properly pay their taxes and have access to the things that like a typical employee might have. And we can actually do that in many countries. And I think health insurance tends to be the number one reason people look for that. But we can't always do that. And the reason we can't is because sometimes... Those folks aren't really contractors in the way that like a government might look at it. It's sort of, they might work basically full-time for a DAO. And as soon as you have that, you know, potential employee relationship, it really requires buy-in from both like the DAO and the contributor, like both sides need to kind of sign on because a DAO is sort of the de facto employer of someone just by the nature of, you know, compensating them in a full-time way. Um, then we can't jump in and say, no, 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 we're the employer. We actually need the DAO to kind of say, well, actually, WorkDAO will be the employer and like officially sign off on that. And so in some cases, we can help an individual. But a lot of cases, we we really do need buying from the DAO.
0: But if someone is not working full time, working as a contractor, part time some weeks, not at all other weeks, working on a project, that kind of a thing, they can come to WorkDAO, sign up as an individual contractor, do they then become employees of WorkDao and then WorkDao collects the payment from the DAO and then passes
1: it on? We, we typically um, have avoided that model for contractors because, uh, you know, you can imagine someone's a contractor and they pick up, you know, a bounty here and do some contributions there. and right. Maybe they're working for two or three or four DAOs, maybe some non-DAOs, right? Like maybe, you know, they're making money in some completely different way. And when you put it all together, it starts to look, you know, like a full salary maybe. Um, and so from like a compensation perspective, you might think like, oh, this seems like full-time employment. Um, the truth is then if we were to go and hire that person, then it would it would stick us in the middle of all of those discussions that they're having with mm-hmm. all of these different, you know, sort of verses of income. And, you know, we'd have to sort of explain, you know, who we are. And, and eventually it would get to the point where essentially we were doing business-to-business contracting and then sort of employing this person. And so the problem with that model is there's not really a one-to-one mapping between like work available and this, you know, now employee who wants to do the work. Um, And so in that situation, we would say, look, you're a contractor, we'll help you incorporate so that you can have liability protection. So we tend to recommend people shouldn't um, work as like a sole proprietorship or shouldn't like, you know, sort of uh, be directly liable. So they create their own entity. And then we help them get the entity set up and we help them understand how to file and pay their taxes, you know, as an entity. And so they're still the ones who are contracting directly with all these DAOs, you know, either formally or informally. But then ultimately we're sort of helping them get health insurance, helping them pay themselves a salary from, you know, sort of all that income.
0: Wow, the, the health insurance part is really impressive. The tax payment, do you also help with that?
1: I would say that like the... The, the sort of like bread and butter of what we do and kind of our first product offering is what we call token payroll. And it's a little bit of a misnomer because it actually includes tokens uh, and fiat pay and, um, you know, any combination, you know, thereof. And when we say tokens, it could be, uh, you know, things like USDC, like stable coins, which you see a lot, or it could be, you know, Ethereum or Doge or, or whatever. Um, it could be native tokens. And so we allow an organization to, compensate people and whatever the combination is Uh, but when you do that then there's certain tax calculations that need to happen because governments generally expect there to be some kind of like withholding if you're an employee or like they expect a contractor tax um, and potentially calculated withholdings if you're a contractor and so that requires all this integration with these like real world systems like you can't send usdc to the u.s government right they they don't accept it or at least the irs doesn't right now and so you need to basically pay your taxes in fiat. And so we have this whole layer where, you know, there's um, like this concept of payroll, but what we're actually doing is taking these tokens and fiat, figuring out kind of the gross amount, assessing how much taxes owed all the different authorities, whether it's a federal authority, a state authority, local authority, you know, social security, payroll tax, you know, whatever it is. Um, and then actually transmitting, you know, and, and that money, like we're actually doing like in the US, like an ACH or something like a bank transfer to the government um so that they have all the you know money they expect and then we're generating kind of all of the forms that you expect like the government needs their form and the employee needs their form and the you know of course the employer um and so that's kind of the bread and butter it's a very straightforward product in the sense that like you know it's complicated to implement but the way it works for people is just you say i want to pay this person here's the fiat here's the crypto and then we just figure out all the details and the plumbing to make sure everything goes to the right spot
0: Yeah, that's the amazing part. So the example that I think of is someone who I interviewed in private for the origami site, who told me, please don't publish this. I said, okay, the whole idea of doing in private is that I don't publish everything. But she said, I earned money from the DAO last year. I didn't think that I had to pay taxes on it because I didn't think of it as earning money. I was just earning tokens for my contribution to the DAO. And then I discovered that I had to pay taxes. Meanwhile, The DAO's token had gone down significantly since I earned the money. And so I owed money on a high-valued product that was no longer high-valued. And the tax burden was more than the money that I got, more than the token value. And with WorkDAO, that would not be an issue, right?
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. So, um, you know, just to to, to restate the problem and and then sort of add a little bit of technical pieces, Um, There's this real issue when you get compensated with an asset that can appreciate or depreciate. And typically at the time of compensation, when you receive the asset, that's when you owe income tax. You know, there's some tax rate, every country or state or whatever has, you know, whatever the schedule is for taxes. And it's the value of that asset at the time you receive it. And so um, the the issue is if you kind of decide to pay your taxes at the end of the year, if you... Earn $100,000, you know, US dollars worth of a token, then you might owe $40,000 worth of tax. And that's like a US dollar tax that you owe. Um, but then at the end of the year, maybe your assets are worth a lot less than that. Now, you know, one saving grace to her situation, which is that, you know, even though there's this sort of income tax burden, there is also what would be called a capital loss, meaning um, there was an asset that went from one hundred thousand down to you know twenty thousand. So now you have an eighty thousand dollars loss. And so that removes some of the tax burden and uh, you know that you have to pay. But um, it gets really complicated really fast. And we really want to avoid all of this. And so we have this very, very important rule when we do compensation, and it's that whenever there's a what's called an income event, whenever like you know, a, a worker receives something that can be classified as income, at that moment, we immediately, when it's transferred to them at the simultaneous moment that it's transferred to them, we do what's called sell to cover. We basically convert it into uh, some fiat. And then the withholding amount that we have gets sent to the government at that point. And then if that asset sort of appreciates or depreciates after the fact, it's sort of not that important because how your normal like capital gains and long-term capital gains tax works, but you never actually get that tax until you sell the asset, meaning, you're not forced to sell this asset because you have to cover some tax. You can just hold it as long as you want. It goes down. You're in the bear market. You say, but, well. But you sell it. You sell enough of the tokens to cover the tax burden, right? Yeah, at the exact time that the that it turned. worker receives yep. that compensation, that's the moment we have to do it. Because if we wait at all, then it, it creates this, you know, sort of problem that you've outlined, which is that you have a fluctuating asset and a fixed, you know, tax burden.
0: You know, I feel... That one of the problems that you're going to have, Michael, at WorkDAO is that people don't feel this pain except for one time in the year when they feel it really badly. Mm-hmm. And then the people who feel the pain aren't the ones who have enough power to sign up for the solution. But it's like a once a year, people feel the pain and then they have to do something to channel their energy instead of recognizing the pain every time they earn money. And that's, that's a pain, don't you think? That's a problem.
1: Well, so, I mean, I think it's a, it's a really fair point that um, you have this sort of situation where when you go to an individual, like usually people experience a pain and then that, that, you know, results in them wanting to find a solution and doing their research. And then it's kind of a whole process. At this point though, it's like they can't really solve the problem that they have. They can only solve like future problems now that they know that, you know, they right. can be created this way. Some people might just say, man, forget this. I don't want to contribute to DAO ever again. And, you know, that's a shame because we've lost them from the ecosystem and as right. a customer I worked out. But the approach that we've taken though is um, we tend not to market to and go after individuals um, for, for some reasons, and you know, largely though including this reason. And instead, you know, we go to the DAOs because like even an individual who might have this problem once, a DAO, if they are, are aligned with their contributors, will sort of indirectly, have this problem like many, many, many times in many different countries with many people. And in the case where like these folks are classified as employees, it's not an indirect problem they're having. It's not like, oh, some of our contributors are having problems. Actually, they're on the hook for the taxes. They're on the hook for the withholding, right? And so in that sense, it's much easier for us to go to someone who's a trained like HR professional or like a lawyer that like DAOs increasingly are being forced to, you know, you know, I say forced, some are very happy to do it, but they're, they're going on. they're, they're, they're attracting this top talent in the legal space, in the HR space, in the finance space. And these folks actually have this experience. And so we go and talk to those, those people and they say, look, we know about all these problems. We know that all our contributors are going to go through this. We have to solve it. And many of them are trying to figure out how to solve it in house. And it's just really difficult because even if they figure out how to solve it for like, you know, a certain state, they're like, oh, you know, whatever, we're a Wyoming Dow, let's solve it for Wyoming. But then it turns out their contributors are in 30 other states, or it turns out they're in 50 other countries, right? And so that's kind of the opportunity for us. It's to go to sort of these decision makers who are a little more sophisticated about these problems and really looking out for the contributors and then sell kind of at that level.
0: Okay. What's the token tax engine?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So um, we have an internal proprietary product, which we call it the token tax engine. You know, we might want to give it a less literal uh, name at some point, maybe something we can get some marketing people in the door. So we call it an engine because it's, it's written in software where um, we would uh, sort of as an input, give a list of contributors with all the information about those contributors that might be relevant you know, to their you know, compensation or tax situation. So it's like, where do they live and what kind of visa are they on? Like, are they married? Are they a citizen of another country? All of these things are inputs into how much tax they might owe and to like who they might owe that tax. And then um, this engine goes through and it calculates based on the specific type of tokens and specific mix of tokens and fiat and, you know, whatever, whatever they, they have, it spits out the other end. Okay. On this date, you owe this much tax, like to these different um, authorities. And it's very, very specific. It's like, okay, on, you know, March 14th, you have to pay, you know, the federal government, 23,000, you got to pay California 11,000, you got to pay social security, you know, 600. You know, whatever it is, it, it just spits it all out. Exactly. Um, and so for us though, you know, we started working on that and, and as a product, I would say that like, it, it, it's, it's exactly kind of the, the brains of what you need, but, but handing this paper to a DAO that says, okay, here's, here's like the 50, you know, or hundred contributors taxes for this month across, you know, 70 countries, they still don't know what to do with that. Right. And so the second part of our of our product is taking that list of sort of who to pay taxes to and then that that's the actual like payroll implementation where we'll actually go through and and we'll do the sell to cover sell some of the tokens and get the fiat we need and all the different currencies we need and then actually do the transfers everywhere else so the token tax engine is how we know what to do and then the payroll product is you know actually doing it
0: there's a white paper button on your site it goes into a document that explains what a DAO is and goes into different structures. But even though WorkDAO has the name DAO
1: in its name, it's not a DAO right now, right? WorkDAO was originally intended to just quickly DAOify. And then we've actually learned a lot in the process that has caused us to go for sort of a progressive approach. The you know progressive decentralization and so mm-hmm. now you know our aspiration is to you know become a DAO but we're a lot more focused on what that means and so um, you know the specific feedback that we got from our customers along the way and just from lawyers in general is that um, you have a lot of DAOs that don't necessarily have a legal structure or their legal structure isn't necessarily compatible with like a specific jurisdiction um, and they're depending on us to go be you know like licensed businesses in the real world and like all of these countries. So we actually have one of the, you know, I don't know if I'd say complicated, but one of the most expansive corporate structures in Web3, like we have an entity in like every country. So we actually have a hundred corporations right now. And, and 100 we're growing-
0: cor- So you have an LLC in the US, you have whatever the equivalent of an LLC is in Portugal, in the UK, in Kenya?
1: Yeah, re- really, we're trying to get to all countries. Okay. Um, right now, we literally, we literally have. If you look at our, our corporate chart, we have a hundred subsidiaries. So we have a Delaware C corp at the top. It's not an LLC, actually, but you, you, I C-Corp. guess it could be. Um, so the C corp, and then it owns, you know, a hundred of these entities all around the world. And you know, we'll get probably a hundred and fifty or or more, maybe, right? And and so we're just going down the list, saying, okay, anywhere where there's Web three talent today, or there could be, like, we have to have a. a you know, a corporation there, a company. We have to have a bank account. We have to have a license. We have to comply with all the local regulation. And so, in that sense, um, the most important part of our business right now is that real world corporate compliance infrastructure, which is something that, like, you cannot expect a DAO to go out and do that. Yet, a DAO would have to go out and do all those things to comply with labor laws. So, we're doing this kind of on behalf of other DAOs so they, they can comply with tax and labor laws. Now, for us, there's this real question of like, what does it mean to DAOify then? Are we going to DAOify this, you know, giant corporate structure? And the truth is like the, the, the part of our business that we're really excited to sort of turn over to a community and, and to kind of be a DAO really is around um, understanding and, and kind of deciding on and recommending like, what's the future of work? What does it mean now that we're distributed and decentralized and people are all over the world? when it comes to things like expectations for holiday schedules or expectations for full time or part time some some really complicated things like if there's like misconduct um you know which every single country does differently and right. so on the one hand we have got we've got to help everyone comply on the other hand you know so so the base la- la- layer is sort of okay wherever the worker is we got to comply with that country's rules so you know that's what we're doing on the one hand on the other hand there's this aspirational aspect of like if we could sort of now that we have this kind of common operating system for labor all around the world, how could we envision a better future? And like, what would it look like if we had kind of not exactly a government, government, but like a governing body to put together the expectations for the future of employment? And so the DAO is much more focused on that piece. And then we think of all this infrastructure as a service provider, potentially one of many. And so the, the question of like when is the right time to DAOify? Well, I mean, we're growing and we have more and more people who, who are on our system and more companies that we're working with, more DAOs, and I think being able to bring all of those employers or DAOs, you know, um, into one spot and then bring all of the the workers into one spot starts to be really powerful. Um, I just think you know we're we're not quite there yet and we're still dealing with the the regulatory compliance in, you know a hundred countries. So that's where we are today.
0: Yeah, I saw in the white paper a hundred plus global corporate entities, and you included Mexico, Portugal, UK, et cetera. But why do you have to have a corporate structure in each company in order to pay taxes there?
1: Most countries, when it comes to labor, like labor is one of the most heavily regulated aspects yeah. of our society. And, you know, as long as there have been like government, um, you know, they've been very, very interested in, in sort of mandating or regulating different aspects of how people can work, how they're paid, you know, the conditions, just a million things that, that are really, really hard to like e- even sit down and write down, like even just if you wanted to understand all the regulations in like California or something, there's people who spend their whole careers trying to like figure this out, right? And so the issue is that that governments are, are not sort of okay with a foreign corporation being an employer in a, in a local jurisdiction. And in many cases, they're also not okay with a foreign corporation even being like the contractor, um, you know, the the other party in a contracting agreement. And so you actually need a local entity either to be the employer or to be the counterparty for the, the contract. And so if we're to go into, you know, a country with a history of labor protections and labor regulation and say, oh, hey, there's this entity less global DAO that wants to now employ people. They would just say that's illegal. Like, no way. There's no way that we can guarantee that this global jurisdictionless DAO is actually complying with like German labor law. And so the solution is that we, we actually have to go create the entity in Germany, get all of the appropriate licenses in order to be able to employ people and then follow all the rules. And so that's really the value of work DAO is that like we're taking that huge compliance yeah. regulatory burden off your plate and then doing it ourselves. Dude, this is
0: exhausting work. Are there enough DAOs now in the world to be a big enough market for you and then and then you have to think about the challenges of going after them when they don't see the problem often enough and they have other issues.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a really good question. It's kind of a market-sized question. And I smile because like, at the end of the day, if we were to walk into a room to talk to an investor and, and have this conversation about DAOs, um, a lot of them wouldn't need necessarily to diligence our product or our customers or revenue or, or the team or any of that. They would just start with this one question of like, you know, today what is the size of the Dow market, and where we're we going to get in five years, and if it looks sort of like this, like, you know, venture level outcome in five years, then people are excited. But um, you know, given the the cyclical nature of crypto, and given that we're in a bear market, and you know, there's a lot of DAOs out there now that are you know not really in growth mode; they're kind of in build mode, and there's a lot of folks who are holding off on launching their token, not starting a DAO, and so from that perspective, I I actually think, you know, and this is kind of like, I would argue a benefit, but we're in this position where there, there there isn't really a big down market today, not at the level to justify, you know, raising a bunch of money and building all these corporate entities. But the interesting thing is that like, it's almost like a defensive moat in that other people won't enter this market because it seems like potentially not large enough. But what's so interesting about these small markets is if you can build a, a product for these early adopters and kind of make it really work and make it great then it just becomes so much easier to get 100% of a tiny market, um, which then itself will grow very, very, very large, hopefully. Now, the good news here, though, for us, is that actually a lot of our revenue is not coming from DAOs. And we set out to build, you know, kind of build these systems for DAOs, and they're the hardest customer to solve the problem for. But just a Web3 company has a lot of the same problems. They're paying people with tokens. And even if they sort of understand some of the, like, employment stuff, now they've got tokens in the mix. And once again, they have no idea how to comply with laws and pay their taxes. And so the product we built for DAOs actually works extremely well for Web3 companies just in general. And so actually our addressable market is pretty much every DAO and just every like bread and butter Web3 company out there. um, So long as they, you know, are involved with tokens, which is almost the definition of the market. So that's a pretty large market today. And it's growing.
0: Why no clients on the
1: site? We We haven't been very focused on the marketing aspect of this, and all of our sales have been um, through introductions and word of mouth. I mean, there's a number of pretty well-known kind of DAOs and, and groups like that on that side, like Gitcoin and uh, you know M Stable DAO and A Star and DYDX and API three. And I mean, and they're all using WorkDAO. Yeah, they're all using WorkDAO. There are customers. Oh. and then and then Dude, we have. I, I wish I saw those logos on your site. We were in this position where we just want to do a really good job for the customers who really need us and. You know we've been in this position where like if you asked us even a couple months ago how many jurisdictions are you in you know it's like it's growing really quickly right and it, it's it's important to basically build the product for the early adopting customers and we just haven't been in that inflection mode right now we're sort of been we've been overwhelmed with the inbounds like we're going really quickly without having a reasonable i mean i'll say it without having a reasonable website or a single news article or you know on any podcast or anything so In that sense, it just hasn't been a priority, but like I expect at the end of the year, we'll start shifting that priority and start to be a little more polished and, you know, kind of like outwardly basing in our marketing.
0: I do think you have a good website. It's also kind of fun. I just discovered as I was talking to you, I clicked around the background. And if you click around the background, you kind of create this dot that then connects to the other dots. It's hard to describe here via (laughs) audio, but it's fun. It's playful. And I can see that you've been adding more, but I had no idea how far you'd come. How many DAOs are working with WorkDAO?
1: we're approaching the 30 mark pretty, pretty fast, we're definitely past 20 and we're well on the way to thirty. I I don't, I don't have the exact updated number right now, but, but that's probably a fair, like 30 is probably a a reasonable amount to get to end of year. If you think about that as a customer base, it sounds small, but actually if you look at kind of how many people these folks actually employ, the, the sort of number of people that we're looking at here, it's, it's the fan out starts to be quite big. Like some of these folks have more than a hundred people that they work with. Right. So this is why for us scalability is really important so we're in this position where we're basically uh trying to be mindful of making sure that as we scale it doesn't disrupt the service offering for the people we already have and so to be honest we didn't think we'd get to 30 this year we didn't even try uh we were like oh, yeah, if we can do this for five organizations we'll be happy but it, it just sort of like you know it's not exactly word of mouth but it's like it's like more like referrals kind of like. One of our customers refers us to the next and then we talk to them and we're like, OK, we'll get back to you in a couple of quarters. And they're like, we need a s- solution now today. And so I will say that we're in this position now where we're really thinking about 2023. How do we step on the gas? How do we start letting in clients by the tens as opposed to the ones or, you know, mm-hmm. by, the, by the dozen?
0: I'd love to even see, I don't know, some way for contributors to bring in others from
1: their DAO. I think if you look at the membership of all the DAOs, I mean, it's in the hundreds, it's a tricky question to answer, just, I'm not trying to avoid it, but it's because we work with people who are in this process of like, they're completely a DAO or they're like sort of a DAO, or they're a sub part of a DAO, or they're like transitioning to become a DAO. Um, and so if you count like the overall, uh, spectrum of all our customers, it's, you know, they, they have hundreds of, you know, like mid to high hundreds of, of workers, um, DAOs themselves, like pure, pure, pure DAOs, it's a bit of a smaller footprint. What's interesting though, is that like one of our best types of customers is uh, a company that wants to DAOify, a project that wants to become a DAO. And, you know, I was listening to this podcast, you know, like a year ago where, you know, Shapeshift, like they, they DAOified. And what, what people don't really say is that like step one to a company DAOifying is like you call up all your climate employees and you say, you're fired because we're going to shut the company down. And so like step one is literally fire hundred people if you have hundred employees. And then it's like, oh, wait a second. We just fired hundred people. I mean, obviously you're going to sort of like rehire them on the DAO side, but it's not really employment at that point. And it's, it's really hard. It's like, wait, did you pay your severance? Did you follow the rules? And so we step in and say, look, if you're thinking you might DAOify, we're a great solution for your company. Because when the time comes to DAOify, it doesn't impact anyone's day to day. They're employed by us. They kind of remain employed by us. And if you just switch your corporate structure from a company to a foundation to a DAO or whatever, it's it's no problem. And so we've got a lot of people in the middle there.
0: If a DAO has tokens that are just governance tokens and aren't trading, is there a tax issue there?
1: You may not owe like a lot in taxes because a governance token may have no value. But the the problem is that um, like in Mm -hmm. the future, that token may have value, you know, down the road. You never know. Like sometimes people decide to list it um, and so in that sense, it's really important then to go out and get that token assessed as a governance token, you get an outside, um, group to come in and say, okay, we're going to evaluate what's the fair market value of this token, and it could come back being very nominal. You know, one of these is worth 0.01 cents. And then, you know, somebody, you know, even though they received hundreds of thousands of these tokens, it's like the government looks at that. as like $5 of income. It's like, okay, you know, we got to pay her $2 of tax. Right. And it's just not a big deal. Um, but the problem is if you don't do that evaluation, and then people are receiving these tokens when they don't have a value, and then halfway through the year, it's like, you know, maybe it stops being a governance token and starts being tradable. Then you kind of look at it, it's like, oh wow, this thing I got suddenly became worth like three million dollars. It's very, very hard to argue after the fact, like it was never worth anything when empirically it became worth a lot of money. Right. And so I guess the point here is that like it's a it's a tricky. Uh, question in the sense that like maybe you don't owe any taxes you know maybe they're nominal but like with that in mind there's still a lot of work you have to do to get the compliance right and that's something that we're really good at and we help our customers do the right way
0: all right let me close it out with this give me one thing that DAOs need to do to improve like what's a problem that needs to be improved in the DAO ecosystem and then one thing that's uh, looking optimistic
1: I think that like overall DAOs you know just generally they're they're there's sort of an exciting new structure. People are experimenting with them. And the the worry, I think, is that we can look at a lot of the good things and there's a ton, but it's that we're we're sort of being forced to reinvent things that don't necessarily need to be abandoned and reinvented. And and you know, one example of that, you know, if we talk about just like HR, no one wants to hear like a DAO sounds awesome and cool and like futuristic. And you're like, well, where's the HR department? And like that sounds old and boring. But when you think about things like like a misconduct policy where you don't have someone who comes in and is like spewing hate speech to other contributors or discriminating against them, you know, things like that. It's like, that actually is, is, is sort of something that I think a lot of like traditional employers get right. You know, it's like they protect people, you know, from these situations where if this is your job, you know, you don't want to be subjected to, you know, you know, this kind of problem. Now, I think overall DAOs are like generally, you know, good communities of good people. That said, like, there's no one at a doubt typically where it's like, you're the HR person or your job is to like, you know, protect the, the workers. And so it's things like that, where I want to hold on to like the best practices of what we learned from like traditional organizations, but then sort of reinvent them with like, what's interesting and new about tokens and governance and things like that. Um, And, and, you know, as a side note, like that is something that wor- worked out has been forced. I wouldn't say forced, but like you know, we forced ourselves, I guess, to go into it. It's like, we have a misconduct policy and like we do everything from training to actually managing complaints or, you know, worst case scenarios, like uh, investigations and things like that. But we do all that heavy lifting because we believe that, you know, this is something that like DAOs will need and it really needs to be sort of part of the ecosystem. In terms of like what's optimistic, I I think the the coolest part of DAOs really is that it's unlocking in almost every way, kind of like a new future of work where being a worker and being compensated, but like becoming part of the governance and being able to vote, like these things are becoming kind of more intertwined. And on top of that, it's sort of like there's there's almost, I can't even name a single DAO that has like a geographical constraint on like token holders. It's like, sorry, you have to live in like this one, you know, city and, you know, like like you got to be in Palo Alto in order to like be part of this DAO. I mean, it just doesn't exist, right? And so in a certain sense, like DAOs have completely democratize like membership and like work and compensation and things like this. And so I think that like, we're going to see more and more exploration of how you assemble a bunch of interesting people together and like what it can mean and like what new opportunities can it unlock in terms of like, Hey, like here's this, you know, you know, before now unlikely combination of, you know, a contributor in Kenya and like, you know, someone in Vietnam and, and like somebody who's traveling between LA and Hawaii and, and they all came together and they, you know, made this billion dollar organization. right and, like that's just sort of unheard of. And I think that you're going to have new norms and new expectations and just a whole new class of, you know, workers and, and creators and innovators. So DAOs are already some of the most exciting places to be. And they're already, you know, like 10 times cooler and more interesting than like typical companies. And we're only like 1% of the way towards unlocking like, you know, the potential of the DAO. Um, and our hope with work is that we can kind of keep the, keep the lights on, keep the wheels on, you know, keep the train on the track with respect to compliance and labor and things like that, and kind of let the interesting innovative folks kind of right. you know, do their thing
0: and there's the interviews since you made it this far email me let me know what you thought of this interview or what you think of the series or who else i should be interviewing here my email address is andrew at join that's andrew at join bye